You are listening to episode 228 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. I have a new conspiracy theory. All right. Sure. Sure. I think secretly Zack Snyder is an employee for Disney. Oh, some corporate corporate espionage. That's right. That's right. Now, why Zack Snyder? Well, I'm glad you asked. So I saw the images of Darkseid from the new Justice League that dropped this week. Mm -hmm. And it got me thinking. I believe that after we all watch Justice League, we will all be filled with so much grief that we will all turn to WandaVision to learn how to cope with that grief. Oh, okay. Oh, I see. And so I think it's an elaborate ruse to get everyone to actually watch WandaVision. So you're saying he's been on frankly, if this is the case, brilliant, right? Because this is now the man he's taken a cut. He's getting paid by both Disney and Warner Brothers. He's taking home the big money to just deliver bad films to drive up Marvel stock. Yeah, it's a stroke of genius, if you will. Do you think he's also in cahoots with the fans who want to buy out DC, though, is the question. Yeah, because obviously Disney's going to buy DC, right? That's the whole thing. Mm. Well, I, I'll speak for uh, uh, word on that front. No, no, we are <laughs> not in cahoots. You know, we, we, this is a public statement from from the company. Yeah, I forgot you bought all those shares in Time Warner, Marco. Mm-hmm. Bought the dip. So, and that's the other thing. I think the resolution you're going to see, you know, the whole thing with Darkseid is always that Darkseid is. But I think the real solution here the real anti-life matter equation is that Zack Snyder is. <laughs> See, I would have thought that the real corporate spy would have been Joss Whedon because he, you know, he directed the Avengers films and he came in and uh, they Disney had him point his racism right at Cyborg and <laughs> it ruined the whole thing. We're losing the thread. So. We're losing the thread. <laughs> Pull the plane up, Sean. <laughs> I sincerely hope that this is not the energy that we will be bringing into our watch along <laughs> for Zack Snyder's Justice League, which, of course, will be taking place uh, in just a couple of weeks when the movie drops on the 19th. So if you guys want to watch that movie with us and hopefully not have to listen to Phil pedal his shit, you can do so <laughs> by uh, joining our Discord and getting all the details. We'll share it on social as well. So if you're over there. Um, you can definitely keep up with us. And of course, we'll talk about it on the show uh, continually as we gear up for that monumental four hour extravaganza. Very exciting. Oh, four hours of me peddling my shit. <laughs> Be like half an episode of the Comics Pals. <laughs> half? <laughs> yeah, I know what I it's, said. It start, well, I just, I'm, I'm contesting that I think it's more. <laughs> the power creep on uh, the comics pals it's like oh we're gonna get up to eight hours now you're telling me an episode and a book club <laughs> so of course uh there are plenty of things for us to talk about today uh as ever the comics industry never stops and neither do we uh we've got a bunch of different topics today we've got some some listener mail we're going to dive into here shortly uh we also have an update about san diego comic-con and what we can expect this year including the promise of a physical event if you can believe that uh news about the infinite frontier beyond just the zero issue that dropped this week 
And in our main topic, we're going to be discussing, in light of WandaVision's uh, finale, how not only comic book movies, but pretty much at this point, all geek culture has to manage fan expectations uh, and, frankly, entitlement um, as more and more people are engaging with this content beyond just the content itself. As these conversations expand and there's more discussion and people hype themselves up, what is the responsibility of the storyteller to manage that? So we've got a lot to get into today. But before we dive in, I do want to let you guys know where you can find us all over the web. Of course, we are the Comics Pals. Wherever it is that you choose to listen to us, please do leave us some kind of a like or a review, whatever it is on the platform that you are on. Get us on social media at the Comics Pals. You can write to us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com if you want to share your thoughts with us. Of course, you can also do that if you are watching us on YouTube. Thank you for that. Leave us a comment like a few of you chose to do this weekend or this week, rather. Um, you can also share the video with your friends and subscribe to our channel. All of those things are free to do and they help us out a lot more than they cost you. I mentioned it earlier, but you can also join our Discord server where our TV party channel is lighting up with commentary about WandaVision. Everyone's excited. The finale has dropped. And if you want to hear our thoughts about that, of course, you can watch or listen to. We watch WandaVision. The finale of that show will be dropping, uh, has already dropped, actually. So you can check that out if you are so inclined to do so. I do also want to quickly mention our latest book club. We did The Vision. It was awesome. Tom King, Gabriel Hernandez, Walter, and the crew did a tremendous job with that book. And if I do say so myself, we did a great job talking about it. So go check that out. You know what, Sean? I'll say that too. We did do a fantastic job. Great book club. Yeah. Yeah. We can we can pat ourselves on the back yeah. every now and then. We don't have to say that our content sucks. Uh, we get to say that it's good. But we can be honest with ourselves. And so I'm honestly saying here and now that I want to see somebody else do next week's opening bit. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Is that, is that commentary on Phil's performance or just yes. that you? Okay. I have 227 episodes. Sean's just tired of it. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I was tired of it after the first episode. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, it's a bad it's a diverse. It's a diversity play. We should bring somebody of color up there. And you know what, Sean? I feel like I'm, uh, I'm primed for that position. You're ready to step up to the plate, Mark. I'm ready to step up to the Hello? plate. Hello? Oh, yes, agent. Oh, I'm glad to hear from you. Yeah. Oh, you have a new project for me. Great. Oh, oh terrific. God. Here comes uh, another tremendous bit. The comics friends? Yeah, I'll be part of that. Sick. <laughs> I'm sorry. Were you no-selling me again? Oh, do you uh, have yes. a do you have another yeah. show to get to? That's we'll see. You, we'll see you never. Bye. Oh, I will. I have a half hour. Okay. Great. Uh, <laughs> we will discuss your your uh, severance package on the thirty third. So okay, uh, be waiting for my call. The thirty third, eh? Yes. <laughs> uh, so without further ado, I actually want to dive into some of the listener comments that we got over the last week. Uh, you guys, YouTube, you guys really killed it in terms of reaching out and letting us know your thoughts on what we're doing. So, uh, Pete, go ahead and take it away. 
Sure. Uh, so this first comment comes from Chaos and Comics, which was over on our Mike Perkins interview, which you can go check out. We talked to him about um, the Swamp Thing and a bunch of other stuff, his career. So uh, great interview. Check that out. Uh, and Chaos and Comics wrote in and said, great person to interview. Watching now. Nice channel you guys have put together here. Thank you so much, Chaos and Comics. Appreciate that. Uh, this next one comes from Tone Riggs over on our WandaVision Episode 8 review and said, This show has lived up to the hype. Can't wait for the finale. Falcon and Winter Soldier and Loki have some big shoes to fill. I think Let's that's fair go, to say. Winter Falcon. Woo! Wow. Surprised for Marco to be on the hype train for that one. Yeah. You know? I'm all about the ships. No, he's in. He's in. <laughs> the ships, eh? He's yeah, that's fame, true. Fame. He does. It's he not. does love romance. He does love a good yeah. romance comic. Uh, all right, so this next one comes from Trevor Hazelwood over on our Hicksville book, Hicksville book Club. excuse me. Uh, and Trevor said, thank you all. I have a class discussing this book and wasn't able to order it in time. Surprisingly, there's virtually no way to read it digitally. That is not surprising because we all we bought the last five copies on Amazon. <laughs> so I'm not Literally. surprised. Literally. <laughs> like, no joke. <laughs> Glad we could help with your homework, bud. Yeah, what do you think his plan was here? Was he gonna do teach a class on our episode? Like, no, I'm you know, thinking that he probably is in a like class. We, yeah, we yeah. didn't spark notes it. There no, but he could probably yeah. just steal our opinions and act like oh, he read the book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good for him. Yeah, yeah, good for him. You go. Yeah, I'm glad we could help you, Trevor. <laughs> Sincerely, hope you gave us a subscribe for it. Kale's mad because he had to read the book. This guy just had to watch a YouTube video. I like the book. <laughs> we all know how much Kale hates reading. It's fine. <laughs> I read books with pictures. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Well, thank you guys Sometimes. all for the comments. I'm glad that the Hicksville Book Club ended up being useful to someone. At least it touched somebody. <laughs> Yo, I hope, Trevor, if you're listening by any chance, if we if we got you with that, tell us what you got on the, the assignment. How'd you, how'd you, did you get an A? <laughs> God, if he got like an F or something, is that an indictment of us? I would say so. Damn. I'd come at the yeah. teacher. I'd be like, that was some well thought out criticism. <laughs> um, so let's get into the pals pulls for the week. Uh, we're going to start with Marco, who chose a book that has a title that I'm very intrigued by, Maniac of New York. I think that's actually referring to Marco himself. <laughs> it's is this autobiographical. <laughs> this is. Well, this is this is more so a fictionalized biography. Um, oh, so it's like Berserker. <laughs> basically. <laughs> um, I'm surprised you, you didn't pick this up, Sean. This one, this one I thought would, would get you because it actually has uh, Andrea Moody, who did Fearscape. The oh, artist for cool. that? I didn't know the book existed. Oh, really? Okay. Um, yeah, so this is basically just about a a murderer who goes on a rampage one New Year's, and the the entirety of New York City is, like, uh, frozen in fear of this person. It's a detective story where uh, different task force are created to stop this this uh, crazy person, and mm. um, it's it, it feels like an 80s movie, and I feel like I was talking to it with either Sultan of Swing on the Discord or Justin, and uh they, we both had really good reactions really dug the the vibe the art and it, it the story is interesting um in that the detectives you know have a past and you explore it and all that you know the the typical dark detective trope um yeah but it, it's, it's generally like a fun time 
that that's just a framing device that works when it's done well though right mm-hmm. like the idea of like <clears throat> detectives chasing down a, a killer is like it, it's a great setup if you have good characters and like a good mystery to tell you know yeah and i i enjoy it because this issue um the, the first issue is like he's just kind of out and about and then this issue in particular he happens to step on a train and he's going from one like from one of the longest stops if uh either crossing one of the rivers where you have to go underground there's like no stop in between and you're underground for at least uh seven to ten minutes and it's like what happens then well okay cool so it's like establishing good tension it seems and everything yeah that sounds cool man all right well guess i'm gonna have to pick that book up uh at least the first issue see if i can snag it if if uh if it's available anywhere um course marco's a digital reader so that doesn't impact him yep i wake up and uh it's it downloads <laughs> wow is that nice. how you do it do you like pick them out in advance so that when you're up on wednesday they're all like ready to go yeah i i pre-order them uh the week before typically i'm like a week ahead on it and i'll just go through it pre-order and then wednesdays i'll do it again because sometimes they'll update it and they'll have like additional sure. stuff uh yeah and just wake up download and read so, 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 Marco, let me ask you this question. Um, when you buy your books on, digitally, right? When you buy yeah. your books digitally, do you, do you pick out a variant cover ever? Uh, no, I don't look at the cover. I just look at no? the content. Oh, okay. Yeah. Do you, I feel yeah. like the digital versions sometimes come with the variant cover included so you can see it, right? Like on the, on the back sometimes. Mm. Oh, it depends. that must be really cool to like look at um, on a screen. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, I'm sure it's I'm sure it's so much different from looking at it in your hand. <laughs> Being able to feel it, maybe put it up on your wall, things like that. It's pretty it, dude, cool. I, I have some 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 actually some pretty valuable um, variant covers. I don't know, you know, it's just cool to have tactile experience. You know, sure, sure, yeah. I don't like touching them though. Is the thing I like having it, but I, I can't read them. My hands are too sweaty. And it just makes me anxious the whole time. Thumbprints. Yeah. Whenever I hold a physical comic, I'm just like, oh, I'm fucking ruining this. I'm destroying this. Pete, I'm trying to establish tension between me and Marco. (laughs) Why are you making this about you? That's again a window into his personal life. You're right. Yeah. All right. So then let's move on. Uh, Eternals number three, also by Marco. Let's go. Chosen by Marco, not by Marco. Mm, Oh, (laughs) one day. One day. Uh, yeah, I, I dug Eternals number two. You can go check out a review. And it was, um, I don't know, I, I, I'm enjoying the story. I like the sort of the direction. I definitely love the art. And I'm just interested to see sort of where they keep going with the murder mystery and the relationship between all of the, the, the Eternals. Um, we had mixed reactions, but I'm definitely somebody who's, who's up on it. Okay, very good. Uh, and then... I chose uh, Children of the Atom, number one. So this is a, a long, gestating, uh, often delayed book from Marvel. Uh, Vita Ayala has been working on this uh, for quite some time. I, I can't remember exactly when it was announced, but it's been a while. This is Vita Ayala and Bernard Chang. So very uh, talented, creative team. And this book is, at least as it was solicited originally, uh, is supposed to be about young mutants who have power sets that are extremely similar to the mutants that we all know and love. Um, but it's not quite them, and it's 
from what I recall, not like a, it's not like an alternate future thing or, or, or anything like that. So we don't know exactly what the mystery of it is. And that's probably why I'm so intrigued. Um, but it's going to be, it's going to be a fun ride. So issue number one is, is going to drop next week. And uh, I will absolutely be, be there at least for that. Huh. We'll see if the premise is good beyond the, the mystery part of it, I will definitely be around for the run. Sounds cool. <clears throat> so apparently it was announced back in January of last year, and it was supposed to originally yeah. come in April. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a while. Was this the one that we talked about where she was like, wasn't sure about the premise? and Or was that the... That was the X-Corp. X-Corp. Uh, X-Corp. Okay, never mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's so, Teeny Howard, right? Is doing that one? That was Teeny Howard. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that was? Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Marco just all over the place. You yeah, know, fake I find that when I um I find that when I read books uh physically that I tend to retain more information about like what happened in them and who the creators are and things like that. It helps me keep a relationship with comics. It's a little deeper, I feel. I guess if you're a Marvel fan. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Marco uh, notorious for not reading X-Men comics, right? Uh, only only uh Onslaught. <laughs> that's right right the best book that was the, the last book. good x-men book obviously <laughs> <laughs> the, la- the, uh, the best last event the last best event Mar- marco won't read events no, no, no. Anymore. the best last event everything else after this is not an event it's it, it can't it, it, it's not canon do you sound like a comic fan who's like in his 40s or something or it's like comics aren't as good as they used to be <laughs> uh so they're, not, fault, bro. they're not bro they yeah. peaked at onslaught <laughs> <laughs> hilarious uh and then pete phil and i all chose wonder woman earth one volume three yeah i mean it's finally concluding grant morrison and yannick Paquette. uh the first two volumes are excellent mm-hmm. um i don't remember the last time a earth one book even dropped actually but uh it, you know it's a it's a line of up and down quality books this is maybe i think this is the peak of the crop personally. this is the only one i really pay attention to and uh, it's great. You know, we've talked to Yannick Podcast before, and he's talked in depth about his creative process behind that. You can find that on our YouTube channel. Uh, but I'm really excited for this. I think specifically the one when you talked to him in 2018, I think we talked about this book and focused on it quite a bit. Um, so go check that out if you want to hear more about his process. Um, but yeah, we were talking about it a little bit off mic. Like, I, I, this is a book that, like, I like the story of it, but I'd show up for Yannick's art on this one alone. I love the yeah. way he draws Wonder Woman. Um, the creative stuff he does with like the paneling and, yes. and everything like it's just it's a treat um, and it's a book that I've recommended to friends who are regular comics readers that like don't like superhero stuff um, and they've even gotten a lot out of it just because it's it's really really high quality I think um, it's a book I'd recommend to anybody yeah yeah uh, Wonder Woman Earth One has been really cool there was actually some controversy recently this is the only spot we've had in the show to talk about this, so I'll use it. Um, a couple weeks back, you know, people took Grant to task for the depiction of Wonder Woman and Steve Trevor's relationship in Earth One. So in the Earth One series, Steve Trevor's black. Mm-hmm. And Grant was trying, I assume, to bridge together uh the original sort of wonder woman origin um and backstory of the the person who created her who, what was the name of that 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 person 
Uh, I'll look it up. I, I forget his name. Uh, so that person is notorious for having an interest in BDSM and alternative. William Randolph Marston, I think his name is. Moulton. Okay. William Moulton, Moulton Marston. There you go. Uh, and so Grant, I, I imagine, was trying to pay ho- pay homage to that and include that by having Wonder Woman's relationship with Steve be established by her uh, binding him. Yeah, uh, that was it. Was like supposed to be this. Um, I don't know, like kind of like a like a ritual, you know, get together type of thing. Mm-hmm. And so people have taken that, and because of the imagery of a black man um, being presented with chains mm. by a white woman, people took that to mean that Grant is uh, racist. And I was shocked by that because when I read that story, I didn't even put any, I didn't, I didn't even think anything of it. Like, yeah, it wasn't until I saw this commentary that I even realized what was, what was being like that, 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 that could be, interpreted that way sure sure if i'm not mistaken it's been some time now since i've read the first volume of wonder woman earth one doesn't he reject the chains and shackles too i don't remember i don't it's it's been a while yeah i i feel like he has a reaction to it and she's kind of like oh that's just what we do like um go ahead marco in in one of the interviews that phil does they actually talk about yannick actually talks about the that angle of it the bdcm from an art perspective that gives that additional context that sean was talking about too Mm. um just from like like why they decided to design certain things that way and why they decided to actually uh visually portray it that way so um i I don't remember the specifics but if you if you guys want to go back it's probably good a good interview just to get that additional insight yeah that that feels like one of those things that's like I guess I could understand why someone would look at that image and, and be like, whoa. But, like, I feel like within the context of the story and everything, like, it, I, I remember feeling, now that you point that out, I, I remember having, like, a similar reaction to that, Sean, of just, like, not even really thinking anything about it. Because, like, I just don't, like, I feel like it's, like you said, it's trying to connect to the roots of Wonder Woman. And, like, there are other depictions of bondage in the story and, and stuff like that. And I think it's, like maybe just kind of like unfortunate um, how that could be interpreted versus like an intent on, on the part of grant or something like that. I, yeah, boy, like I feel, I feel a little remiss um, because I haven't, I haven't read it in a while, but I feel like I, my memory of it is like, I feel like they made Steve Trevor black deliberately because of like subjugation stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like that one in itself was like meant to be kind of a commentary. It does feel kind of weird to like accuse him of being racist while intentionally making one of his main characters black, right? Like, well, the idea would be like they made him intentionally black, uh, racistly or something. Yeah, right. But like, is I don't feel like that's the depiction of the character in that story. I that's my memory of it yeah, too. But it's, it has been a while, so. The thing, the thing that that kills me. I'm not like gonna go on. You know, yeah. This is gonna dominate the show. But like, what kills me is, um, people look at at that right, and they look at the character Steve Trevor, and they just see black, right? Mm. They just see black, black man, black man, bondage, racist. It's it's like a crazy reaction uh, that has its roots in seeing automatically seeing the race of a person. And crafting a narrative around, you know, 
imagery or an, or a moment or whatever that goes beyond the scope of what is happening in that moment. Like if 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 a if a black person in any environment you know is interested in BDSM, does that have something to do with the root the 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 roots of of African Americans dealing with slavery? No, it doesn't. It has nothing to do with that. And I think that sometimes, you know, you kind of just have to chill and let a story be a story. Like Steve Trevor being black is good and great and acceptable by itself. And, you know, introducing the idea of bondage or whatever uh, is also perfectly fine and acceptable. It's if something happens in the book that's that goes beyond that, you know, yeah. um, that's clear that, that is charged, that has intention. That's a different story. Um, yeah. But we got to chill, man. We got to chill. That the your comment on like the um, like a black person and, and wanting to let's say that be a bondage thing. There's a play called um, Slave Play by Jeremy Jeremy O'Harris uh, that um, it, it premiered here in, in uh, on Broadway and it, it it tackled that very same concept um, mm. about BDC, BDSM and uh, an interracial couple and they they're actually it being a kink on um it's like slave play mm. um so like anecdotal ancillary but just something that it gets explored in in, in art that i think to your point sean it, it goes beyond just it being the, the like what you make of it but the context of of a story yeah look at exactly. marco bringing theater talk into this yeah bro it's a fucking cultured ass show phil <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh Let's let's move on because we've got a lot of other things to dive into here. Uh, leave Grant alone, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> like back off. Grant's cool. So yeah. <laughs> so San Diego Comic Con is, of course, the premier comic book convention. Frankly, just just a multimedia event, just a, a, a across the board. I feel like if you've got some new hot thing that you want to, you know, put out and promote. Uh, doing it at San Diego Comic Con is is generally a great idea. Um, they we did not get a proper San Diego Con last year due to uh, COVID, and one of the big questions that's been asked, one of the questions we asked on this show actually, uh, is when will comic book conventions return? And now we know that at least for this half of the year, there will be no San Diego Comic-Con in person. So uh, this week, San Diego Comic-Con's owners, the the hosters, Comic-Con International put out a statement that essentially said that due to the ongoing coronavirus crisis, there will be no in-person event uh, this year. In addition to that, uh, not only will there not be an in-person event, but we will be getting Comic-Con at home, but it will only be three days. Mm. Uh, How long was the so, first one? Wasn't it like a week? Yeah, yeah. I believe it was a week. A um, week? Oh, I thought it was the typical like four-day thing. I don't really quite remember. <laughs> it was long, it felt like. but So I'm going to read a little bit of this statement. 
While we are buoyed by the rollout of the vaccine and the growing number of individuals being inoculated, it appears that July will still be too early to safely hold an in-person event of the magnitude of Comic-Con. For this reason, we have made the challenging decision to postpone Comic-Con 2021 as an in-person gathering until our 2022 dates, and once again hold this year's celebration as the free online Comic-Con at home. Unfortunately, the challenges of this past year and the multiple postponements of our two largest events have left us with limited financial resources. So this year, the online experience will be reduced to a three-day event spanning July 23rd through the 25th, 2021. Uh, that's That sucks. Yeah. Well, yeah. listen, conventions are just a you know, begging for disease to spread. We know that just from going to the conventions every year that, you know, we all leave with what we call con crud. Yeah, you don't want to leave with coronavirus. And as it is right now, according to the CDC, only about 17% of the country has been vaccinated. And, um, you know, by the time San Diego, San Diego Comic-Con rolls around, uh, how many people will that be really? Yeah. California yeah. is a densely populated state. You just right. don't want an easy bake oven of COVID cases. Plus, you you do also run the risk, right, of like how many people come to Comic Con from out of state, right? Yeah, so exactly. Like, even if even if California um, has a higher percentage, right, or is in a better position than than some of the other states in the union, um, you're still running a real risk of you know somebody from Texas or wherever, right, like coming sure. in and and potentially infecting people. Um, I, I think it's clear that this is the right move, um, but it is a bummer, yeah. and it is something that I think, for me as a as a fan, um, I am a little nervous. You know, like I I, I hope that the the nerves that I have about it are um, misplaced in the way that I think some of our concerns about like what was going to happen to comic shops was right. Where like, yes, like there will be some casualties. You will see some conventions go away and not come back, but the vast majority of them, the ones that people really care about uh, should endure um, yeah. is my hope. Uh, but you read this statement, right? And they're saying, right? Like with the postponement of the two events that make them money last year, like they're in a pretty dire financial straight i would imagine and yeah. that's only going to get worse this year that they've had to put on san diego new york and now this event at home with probably very little financial return especially compared they don't do to new york oh oh right that's um read pop uh, read pop uh, yeah. their two big events are obviously sdcc and WonderCon. okay because then because pax is also read pop as well right think i so. think yeah, I always get it mixed up. Um, but either way, right, the postponement of both of those events, is that's huge. That's a huge loss. Um, that's where they make most of their money in the year, San Diego, and then that operates through the rest of the year while they schedule the next event. Um, having to miss that twice is, you know, obviously going to be a major hit uh, to them as an organization. And, like, I worry about, you know, like, is that something that maybe impacts the 2022 event? Or are they going to have to, like you know, um, seek a round of investment capital? Are they going to have to sell off portions of the company? Like, uh, those are all legitimate concerns, right? If if the ship doesn't write and they're not able to start throwing events again. Let me ask you guys a question then, with that in mind, Pete. So many states in the country are doing limited capacity seating for sporting events now. Yeah. President Biden believes that by May... You know, most adults in the country will have at least received their first vaccination. I think that's ambitious, but you know, that's what 
the administration is saying. Do you think it would be worthwhile if if San Diego Comic Con did some kind of limited capacity convention? Like, would have that been a worthwhile a worthwhile endeavor? It's tough to say because how how limited does it have to be to be safe, mm-hmm. and is that enough? to justify the cost of throwing the event, right? right? Because, like, the cost of renting the facility is still going to probably be the same amount of money, right? Like, the cost that you're spending on celebrities, all those kinds of things, you know, those are those are still investment costs you have to make. Um, and if you're not maximizing the number of people coming in, the number of vendors that you can charge a booth fee to, all that stuff, mm. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know that... I don't know that it would be worth it. Well, right. let me pause the conversation here because they simultaneously made an announcement that there will be, in fact, a smaller event oh. this year. Okay, there you go. So uh, the statement said, while we lament the postponement of the in-person Comic-Con, our commitment to this community of fans and our celebration of comics and the related popular arts endures as an important part of who we are. As the timing and scope of our larger events factor greatly into our decision to postpone, we believe that launching a smaller in-person event at a later time may be a safe alternative. For this reason, we are happy to announce that San Diego Comic Convention is planning to present a three-day in-person convention in San Diego in November. At this time, we are still working on specific details as to attendance capacity, badge cost, and related information, and those details will be forthcoming. I I think that's a better, less risky play considering your question on sports, uh, Phil. Yeah. Because by that point, assuming things were out, you know, as close to plan as possible, you're gonna get a higher percentage of inoculation by November. Um, I know that for for myself uh, and Marina, like we're we're in a category where because we work from home, we're gonna be like the last on the list to get Same. vaccinated. So you know, there's there's obviously like steps to get people who. Um, I'm assuming would be creators also who work from home, who don't fall into some of these categories anyway, who would also have to wait for some of that vaccination. Um, so that gives people more time. It, it gives, it gives the whole process more time, which I think is also smarter because you can kind of gauge your activity and how things shake out in the first half of the year, and then be able to be a little more flexible towards the, the back half, whether or not things progress in the most ideal way. That's you know to be seen, but I think it's definitely at at, at the very least uh, being more risk averse. I think that's an important point to note too, right? Like, what was the the you just said the timeline, Phil? What was the estimated by which point everybody will have gotten their first dose? I mean, it's President up to Biden like, thinks May, right? So say so. Let's say pessimistically, it's you I know, know, Sean, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's probably not May. So let's say pessimistically, most people in the country who want to get a shot can get their first do- dose by June, right? No the idea that by like November that you'll have a significant number of people that are, um, that have gotten that second dose and, and are, you know, well, at least relatively safe, right? It's not a hundred percent effective. We all know how vaccines work. Um, but that doesn't seem as crazy as like a July or an August, but we also, I want to say, we said that last year. Um, and granted, we also said, well, like, let's be careful, right? Because summer, there's going to be a dip, and then it's going to rise again in the winter. And, you know, that's like, exactly what happened. And that's exactly what happened, right? So I think there's also a real risk of us being optimistic right now because things look good. And then we get to November, and for whatever number of reasons that are, are factors at play, that it's not as safe as we think it could be. Um, but there's also plenty of cities where we're seeing, like, 
greater availability than was predicted, earlier timeline. So it's like it's kind of hard to say because the next three months are, I think, going to be a huge deciding factor in what the end of this year looks like in terms of a quote unquote return to normalcy, you know? Um, but I don't know. I don't I have a hard time thinking that we're gonna like be at a con by the end of this year. I really do. I want it, but I don't know. Yo, if we get a con, who's going? No, 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 no. Depends on the circumstances, uh, dude. It if I'm like vaccinated, it, yeah, I'll go. If, if we're all oh, okay. vaccinated and it's a reduced capacity, all that stuff, like, maybe? I guess, yeah. I don't know, though. It, the UK is, their, their steps are um, in place now, and they're thinking ev- everything is going to be done by June. Every, they're saying everyone is going to be ready to have their either ready to have their second dose or done. Right. And everything is going to open same as it was. Mm -hmm. It's definitely possible. I'm not doing anything until like 2023. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, California, you know, giant state had a ton of COVID cases. Their case counts are really low right now. And that's ditto from a lot of the country. And a lot of that can be attributed to the vaccine rollout. I think, I think it really is possible by May or June, like, you know, COVID cases could be really like, like very, very low to the point that we could have an actual summer again. Well, uh, summer for comic cons is probably not going to be realistic. Yeah. But I do have hope for uh, a November event uh, through San Diego. I do not believe, I still maintain uh, my prediction that, that, New York Comic Con will not physically take place because I think that the planning for an event of that magnitude would already have had to begun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there are so many factors um, that they just can't be sure about, and it's such a huge event that um, I just I I just can't I can't see it. Um, Do you think maybe like a Keystone could come back though, like something that um, is like more middle sized? I really don't. yeah. I, I, I think it's entirely possible. I think that um, it really, it, like, if we were saying, could it, could Key, if Keystone were a Florida event, I would say yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I say it's because of the, the kinds of people yeah. who are in that area. So yeah. in the East Coast, I feel that people might be less inclined to do something like that in Philly, where people are so conscious and whatever, they might not want to take that risk. In Florida, Texas, uh, certain other states, you can get back to some of that normalcy. Like so, I'm wondering if like South by Southwest might happen like late this year and or something like that. You know, like that's a big huge thing in Texas. Like I don't know. It's gonna be really interesting to see because like it's so hard. Like that new vaccine, um, I can't remember the name. The one that like just is the getting Johnson and Johnson one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like that, we didn't know about that six weeks ago, right? Like. Sure. There, there are X factors at play here that are also like impossible to predict. So, um, and one other thing, Sean, to your point about New York Comic Con, it, it's hard to picture New York Comic Con rolling out with a in person San Diego Comic Con a month later. Like that's they're like stepping on each other's toes in that scenario. Yeah, but I, I, they're on the other. They're on opposite ends of the country. But I, like news wise, yeah. But I even I think, think like, people just want to be, hmm. you know have that experience yeah Yeah. okay i i think people would be so fucking hungry and not even just like fans but like brands 
you know, are like so hungry to be able to be at a place and sell people shit again and be sure. like, our movie's coming out and you can go see it in a theater. Like, yeah. there's going to be so much hunger for that kind of interaction, I think. Yeah. So stay tuned for the Comics Pals Expo. Okay. We're throwing our own now. (laughs) It's in Florida. Don't worry about it. You want him to do the opening bid next week? Not really. Honestly, you don't really have a lot of great options on the show for the opening bit. You know, can we get like a Matt Murphy? Can we get, um, Oh, we're going to start outsourcing the opening bit. I think that's a good idea. Yeah. Um, Sean's that, sitting here talking so big, like he's never done one. He's uh, the host. <laughs> I have responsibilities, Kale. Uh, still, that go beyond having to think of a bit one minute before we roll. The point is, you've still <laughs> never done one. Why would I? You're sitting here criticizing all ours. Where's yours? Mm, sure, so, the show comes together every week, but not the opening bit. Spoken like a true writer, right? Spoken Mm, like a true writer whenever he gets a little bit of criticism like, oh, why don't you critics try writing a book? And then you'll know. You'll know the true struggle of the artiste. That was such a that was such a millennial response too, right? Like, yeah. Oh well, you're gonna criticize me. Well, why don't you do it yourself if it's so easy? Go ahead, <laughs> go right ahead. Um, I like that number voice. one, Kale. I didn't criticize you. I criticized Phil. Uh, but number two, I could do the opening bit just like I do everything else around here. But there are five of us, so why don't you pick up a little bit of slack, buddy? I've done my share of opening bits. Eh. I, they One haven't of- landed. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> Listen, I'm not saying mine are good. That's not what I'm saying. I never That's said I was funny. I'm arguing. We can all agree mine are good, though. Well, well, which of those are memorable? I feel like Kale's, Kale's uh, Flush Down the Jam is probably the, the one that gets referenced the most. The most iconic opening That's bit, true. of course. I, I legitimately have fans, so... The flush down the jam opening bit is the only one that I've ever heard that made me contemplate ending my life. So <laughs> memorable, yes. Quality, I don't know. See, I feel like Again, Kale no. is uh, with that kidding. example, right? He's like tapping into like the modern mentality behind like commercials, right? Where it's like, well, it doesn't have to be good or funny. It just has to be an earworm, right? It has to live in rent free in the back of your skull for the rest of your fucking life. Definitely. I'll be on my fucking, fucking deathbed. Flush down the jam. <laughs> the fucking theme song I made is just playing in my head again now. <laughs> I thought it was out of my life. All right. Well, speaking of things that, well, may or may not be good, uh, Infinite Frontier came out this week. I thought you were going to say things that may or may not be out of my life. <laughs> like you're breaking up with DC. <laughs> <laughs> flushing down the jam oh no i wouldn't bum, 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 bum. uh so infinite frontier came out this week and uh, a lot of people are very happy with it a lot of people feel that it was quality if you want to hear our review of that and not only that uh but we've got a few reviews we've got berserker number one uh and then we've also got the swamp thing number one so you can Whee! listen to all three of those, uh, that review is out now. You can go check that out. But uh, Infinite Frontier definitely landed for quite a few people. Uh, the 64-page comic book featured stories about several different characters from all uh, corners of the DC universe. 
And we now know that that story will be continuing in an Infinite Frontier series. So this was number zero. Number one will be dropping in June. Not only did we learn that, but we also learned uh, who the creative team will be. So Joshua Williamson and Zermanico, who you will know from Justice League Dark uh, and, and many other things, will be teaming up to tell the story of the Infinite Frontier. So DC's description is uh, in Infinite Frontier number zero, when our heroes saved the DC multiverse from Perpetua and Dark Knight's death metal, everything was put back where it belonged. And we do mean everything. All the damage from all the crises was undone, and heroes long thought gone, returned from ex- whatever exile they've been in. Most of them, at least, their story isn't over. Infinite Frontier number zero was just the beginning. In this summer event, Alan Scott, the Green Lantern from the Justice Society of America, has noticed some of his allies are still missing in action, and he is determined to find them. There are others, though, that would rather remain hidden than explain themselves, like Roy Harper, a.k.a. Arsenal, a man who should be dead now is not. Plus, what does all this mean for the DCU's place in the multiverse? On opposite sides of of a dimensional divide, both Barry Allen and President Superman ponder this question, not to mention the dark side of it all, or a team of multiversal heroes called the Justice Incarnate. So I just said a mouthful. Uh, What do you guys think about the idea of the Infinite Frontier, you know, branding or whatever, continuing on to be an event of its own? And did any of the threads that I just laid down um, make you want to read something like that? The answer is no. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know. It just uh, it feels a little contrived, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> um, and, and again, for the full thoughts on Infinite uh, Frontier Zero, go check out our review. But like, I think for me, like this gets into something that I remember we were making fun of DC for a couple weeks ago, where like, they, for whatever reason, feel like they really, really need to make every editorial decision be a thing that makes sense, like, in-universe. Um, and you get, like, these scenes of characters just explaining things that are changing, and it's just like, I don't know, dude. Like, this whole thing feels very manufactured. And the idea of them wanting to, like, set that stage and explain it and just be like, so this happened, and this is why reality works this way now in the DC universe. Fine. That is a thing that probably warrants explaining. There are definitely certain kinds of readers that really do care about the mechanics of things like that. Give me the explanation. The idea of like an ongoing book that's going to like explore that as a concept is like could not be less interesting to me. Um, I don't know. Uh, and we'll talk about more in, uh, coming out of the review, but like I think depending on how it gets out how how they're able to frame the story coming out of that book um i at least thought that it might be interesting to just like see and and and, and follow along for a little bit if there is that interest just because i'm curious to see how the how they're gonna do it um more so from a structural perspective and less so from like a narrative perspective which give or take or that's like whether or not one should matter but um i mean i i'm 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 thinking about following it just to see how they do that and then of what sean listed out the alan scott story interested me i just 
um, since reading uh, John's JSA, like some of those characters have uh, become a soft spot for me. So I'll, I'll probably pick that up just because I'm curious to see how they what they do with him. Cool. So I I didn't necessarily interpret this description as following the part of the story that is here's how everything works. I oh, you don't think so? Not at least not me. Uh, I interpret it as here are the threads that were left dangling in Infinite Frontier that are not continuing in any other book, so we'll do them here. Okay, sure. Okay, all right. That sounds better. Uh, Still probably not into it, though. I barely remember what was even in this book. (laughs) (laughs) I, I'm a sucker for uh, this kind of thing. Like, I always wished that there was a, um, like, a Marvel comic called, you know, just a random example, the Heroic Age. Like, when Marvel had the Heroic Age as a banner, and that was the, the big thing going on, I wish that there was a book that kind of told you the story of the Heroic Age in one in one thing that featured some of the characters who didn't get a spotlight anywhere else, but were still in the midst of whatever the big overlapping story yeah, is. Sure. And so if this is going to be that, then I think that's pretty cool because I am intrigued by what they laid down with Alan Scott. And I really don't have a relationship with Roy Harper, but you know, I know a little bit about that through like cry for justice and awfulness <laughs> like that. And um, I kind of, have some interest so uh this feels this is dc telling me you need to read this book because this is where you will learn the machinations that are going to lead to the bigger stories coming from us sure and so if that's what that if that's what this is is then i'm all in and i'm thankful to dc for doing it if it's not that which i'll know probably within the first issue then uh I think I might have to start writing up the paperwork for the divorce. Okay. <laughs> they have a letters page for that. I would never, I would never, I would never <laughs> write anything. I would never write negative feedback to any, anything like that. Have you ever been part of a letters page before Sean? No, hmm. no, I've never written in. I wish I had. When I was younger, do you know which books you would have done it for? Now you got me curious. I know we're off topic. I, I would have done it uh, certainly for uh, Grant Morrison's Batman. Although sure. I don't recall that having a letters page, mm-hmm. um, but I, I would have written in. Uh, I would have written in for New Avengers by Bendis. Jeez, uh, man, I would have spent my life writing <laughs> in if I was inclined to be that type of person. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's the skinny on the Infinite Frontier summer event. Um, I'm a little surprised, actually, because I thought that they would, I thought that they would have something a little bit bigger than this planned. You, know, it sounds like a, a a 52 or a countdown yeah. style book to me. Yeah, at least yeah. the way you you were just just describing it. You know what? The, those were both kind of big deals at their uh, uh, during their time they were published. Sure. 
yeah i mean yeah they were how the threads were woven for infinite crisis and uh final crisis <clears throat> plus i mean i don't know I, I think there is something to the idea of like and I don't know, we've kind of talked about this, right? Like, DC is kind of trying to readjust um, the way they deliver stories in certain ways, right? Like, between the experiment with um, doing, like, the limited-run digital stories that are, like, week-to-week and, like, doing the backup stories. Not that that's new, but, like, pushing that in a lot of their major titles. Um, that is kind of, like, a throwback to, like, the way comics used to be sold and produced, right? And, like, the idea of this being, like kind of an anthology book of like everything else going on in the margins of the DC universe. Like that could be cool. Um, there was a book like that um, for Invincible called Invincible Universe that I, I liked for that reason where it's like there's all these like other characters that are interesting and like have their own shit going on but like don't necessarily show up in a Batman or a Superman book or whatever, right? So like and maybe you can't carry a title with every one of those characters, but like there's still good stories to be told and you know they're going to play into other events that could maybe put them over and warrant them getting their own book and all that kind of stuff. So y- you can see the value in it if it's well executed. Mm. Yeah, and and the way that Kale uh mentioned 52 and things like that that certainly was important at that time. So if this has that flavor then then yeah absolutely you got some exactly um speaking of the infinite frontier though one of the books that is spinning out of uh, infinite frontier number zero is tom king's supergirl woman of tomorrow if you can believe that so tom who has been working of course on batwoman catwoman and rorschach and uh, Strange Adventures and all these different things is now turning his eye to Supergirl. He's going to be teaming up with Bilquis Evely, who most recently did the Sandman Universe, the Dreaming Book, um, for an eight-issue miniseries that's going to start in June. Um, DC's description reads, Kara Zor-El has seen some epic adventures over the years, but has recently found her life without meaning or purpose. Here she is, a young woman who saw her planet destroyed and was sent to Earth to protect a baby cousin who ended up not needing her. What was it all for? Wherever she goes, people only see her through the lens of Superman's fame. Okay. Uh, They also say an alien girl seeks her out for a vicious mission. Her world has been destroyed and the bad guys responsible are still out there. She wants revenge and if Supergirl doesn't help her, she'll do it herself, whatever the cost. Now, a Kryptonian, a dog, and an angry heartbroken child head out into space on a journey that will shake them to their very core. Huh. Love to see uh, Crypto. Love to see Crypto getting the getting the bump. <laughs> I I feel like the Tom King's I've heard good things about when Tom King writes Superman. He has mm-hmm. the book up up in the sky, which I, I've seen even in like in, in our Discord, people have, have really like like praised it for being some consistent work from him. And with Bilkus, man, her stuff is just like awesome. So from an artistic perspective, he always gets top tier artists, and this is just like another one to sort of add to that list. And I, I mean, I'm I'm interested. I'm always interested to give Tom King a shot. And especially considering the art too. Uh, and if it's a Superman story, I've not read one and I've heard good things. So I'm, yeah, this is, this is definitely like a get for my book and has, has interested me, interested me enough based off of what you laid out, Sean. Yeah, I, I agree because I think for, 
for me, this kind of flies in the face of the thing that um, that like I think Phil is usually the first one to like point out, right? Is that like <clears throat> Tom King definitely goes back to the same wells a lot, um, and this book doesn't seem like that, right? Like I remember like when they announced like Tom King Rorschach, I was like, ah, I don't know about that. Like I don't know that I want Man. that. I can I can guess what that book feels like, you know, um, whether it's good or not. Uh, and and I remember feeling like ah like another mystery. He's been doing mysteries. The last three books are mysteries. Like okay, this isn't that right. Like this seems different. It seems like a different kind of story. I've never read a story where he wrote a woman. Um, you know those those are things that are like and like Supergirl's a different kind of character than I feel like I've read from him. Right, like then a Rorschach or a you know whatever. Right. Um, the idea of him telling a story that is about like hope. And, you know, and, like, those kinds of things. And, like, maybe this supporting character who's who he's establishing is a little bit more connected to that kind of, like, war and revenge and those things that he knows so well. But the idea of, like, maybe telling a story about overcoming those things and trying to be a beacon of light for other people and all that, like, that's something that, like, feels like new territory for him um, and could potentially be something that's, like, rewarding and, and, like, shows a different side to him, you know, and evolves what he... Me still growing on what he's written about, but finding a new way to talk about it, you know, and and from an angle of a guy who's like kind of removed from that now too, right? Like he's probably a different person than he was a few years ago, right? So I don't know. There there seems to be meat on the bone for me on this one. I really disliked Superman Up in the Sky. I thought it was terrible. That was that featured that issue where uh, Lois Lane gets graphically murdered over and over in 12 pages because it's like Superman's anxieties in life or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, Tom King Superman is not something I'm in, in, in ter- uh, terribly interested in. However, what I will say about Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow is the cover for the first issue is awesome. It's so good. So. It's got very Flash Gordon vibes, which uh, intrigues me. So, what did you say? um, Strange Adventures kind of had that too. Am I am I hmm. crossing? Yes, but because Adam Strange is that type of character, um, I this feels like that style of pulpy adventure, like sci-fi adventure, as opposed to Tom King's normal sort of. Uh, noir, war tortured, like grit, veteran grit. Um, you know, where with strange adventures having the sci fi trappings along with that, this at least this cover, you know, makes it look like a, a real hard retro sci fi. Yeah, I feel like strange adventures is a deconstruction of that. Mm. you know like it's like here is the thing and here's like a twisted mirror image of it right Right. and like cool this feels more authentic to that style like let's do it in a way that's not gonna be a weird fun house mirror thing that's not gonna be like let's take this and make it gritty and heavy and you know not that there's anything wrong with that but the idea of him doing something different from that is pretty exciting i think do at we least, know that that's what this is? No. Yeah, at least, it, at least it doesn't seem like that on its face. <laughs> right. Right. And pff, you're totally yeah, I, right I, to I, say that, John. It could I can very only, well. I can only say that off this cover. This cover makes me think of that. Well, yeah. and I think even like the cover, but also just like the the solicitation, like feels lighter. Like it's like it's up to Supergirl, a dog, and a sad kid to go save the world. Like it's like all right, that like I don't know. 
it's giving me that vibe. Well, at the very least, it wouldn't be a Tom King book without it being absolutely beautiful to look at. Fair enough. Uh, just a shout out to Matt Lopez. He typically does colors on anything that Evely does, so he doesn't get enough enough respect. Um, so just a big shout out to him because yeah. I think he's a he's a big part of giving it that that retro vibe. So DC and Tom actually got uh, a fair bit of criticism. Uh, when I say fair, I don't mean that the criticism was fair. I mean that it was, you know, sizable. <laughs> yeah, that um, people were upset that Supergirl is getting this book and that a man is writing it. Uh, why not have a woman write the book? Mm. Um, if you know DC has doesn't really have a huge stable of uh, women writers and that a lot of the books that DC is publishing right now do not prominently feature women. Uh, so that was that was the critique this week. To me, those are two that? separate issues, though, right? Like, um, you, you can... Like, them not having enough stories that are fronted by female characters is, like, in my mind, a separate issue from not having more female writers. Um, and you know, we, we talked about this through the lens of like Miles Morales and Brian Michael Bendis. And I don't, I don't think that's like, I, you can acknowledge both of those things in the same breath and be like, Hey, like this points to a problem. Right. But I think saying that it's inherently problematic that Tom King, a very well-known writer who has clout at DC and can write whatever book he wants to write, um, being the one who's like, well, I have a Supergirl story to tell. And now we're getting a story about Supergirl, right? Like that checks one of those boxes that we want more stories that feature female characters as the leads, right? So take that as the win that it is, and then also criticize DC for not hiring more female writers. Hmm. That's and, my take. Uh, but then why also to like like why disparage the the artist, right? Because she's the one drawing it, right? Fifty so, percent of the creative team, you know. And it's like, are you also discounting all the work that the solo work that Joel Jones is doing? Let's say, right? So, yeah. like, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Pete. Not um, to mention it, it does tie into the thing that Sean made the point about in our Black Superman episode, where it's like, what can women only write women characters and men can only write men? And like, is the book good? Is it authentic? Is it true? Does it speak to something true in the human experience? Like, that's what I'm more interested in, you know? Um, and also hire more women. <laughs> yeah, I think that's really what it comes down to, right? You should have a labor staff that is, um, you know, more diverse of, of people that are people of color and different genders, you know, not a bunch of white guys uh, that are middle-aged or whatever. Um, yeah, this kind of thing doesn't feel to me like a giant issue having Tom King write a character that's a woman um, let the merit of the book stand on its own. If he does something problematic with, you know, Supergirl, then yeah, you can hound him on that or whatever. But yeah. The actual news of him doing this, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think, yeah, I think it's really unfortunate um, because, like, I've never, ever cared about Supergirl. Um, I don't feel that in the 
15 years that I've been reading comics that DC has ever done anything with the character that caught my attention. That's not to say that in that time period, there may not have been runs that were good, mm-hmm. but on, on their face, they didn't put a creative team together that I was intrigued by or the premise wasn't uh, compelling. Sure. But here I am and I see this and I'm like, oh, shoot, I, I want to check this out. Mm-hmm. So the hope is that you know they do such a bang up job that the next Supergirl run who has, you know, a woman creator on it or whoever, quite frankly, um, now that I've been initiated with into the character, now I want to follow their journey. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. And I think that, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. ahead. Uh, I think that the point that Marco made about half the creative team, you know, I shouldn't say half the creative team, but of the most important people on the book, the writer artist, half of that is, you know, a woman. And that in comics, we value more highly the writer than the artist, even yeah, in the yeah. ways that we talk about yeah. these types of things. And I think it's funny that people who probably would also simultaneously say respect artists and put, you know, put make sure that every every person a part of the creative process is highlighted and artist names should go above writers, blah, blah, blah. Don't respect the fact that she's the person getting to uh, artistically drive the narrative. Tom is writing it, but yep. she's drawing it. And we can see from Strange Adventures that that book is nothing without uh, yeah. the artists at all. I, I believe Tom's whole thing. He collaborates very closely with his artists, you know? I I believe critics, though, Sean, would say that both the artist and the writer should be a woman. You know? That would be their counterpoint, I believe. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, yeah, not... I just, yeah, I don't know, dude. Like, I, ever since Sean said that thing, I haven't been able to stop thinking about it from the, the Black Superman episode where it's like, why can't a woman write Superman? Sure. You know, like, why can't a woman write Batman? Like, has there ever been a woman who wrote action comics or detective comics ever? It's a weird slippery slope thing where it's like <laughs> stay in your lane, write your category or whatever, where it's like, OK, you're a white man. You can write a white man character. You're a black man. You can write a black man. character. But it's bullshit because white men can also write black men or women or whoever they want. It's the other way where it doesn't work. And like, that's fucking bullshit. Well, I think what Phil's referring to is the way that it appears to be uh, what what's being championed versus what's reality. So right. reality yeah, is yeah, yeah. Yeah. that white men get to do everything. But what people seem to want is everybody in boxes. Right. Because it's like Joelle Jones isn't Brazilian. Shouldn't she not be around, allowed to create Yara Flor? Khan's about to say question. some shit like, oh, no, she is actually Brazilian. Thank you very much. Why do you assume she's not? <laughs> well, it always circles back. Well, I, it's because I read about it, Kale. I know she's not. She went to Brazil and was inspired by <laughs> Brazil. That, it was that face he was making. <laughs> what it always circles back to is what Sean said earlier. Let's chill. Yeah. Stop taking comics so seriously. Yeah. And, and you know, la- my last comment is, like, it's not even to disparage anybody who does want to see diversity because we know mm-hmm. that it is good but i think yeah. that you have we to do be too careful. <laughs> yeah of course um and you get i mean there's a million conversations 
that we've had. That, like, I don't even feel like justifying it, but... um, Yeah, well, if you're new, right? Like, yeah. if this is your first time, that's not where we're coming from on this. It's not about that. Yeah, it's just... It's, 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 it's about equality, man. And equality is not, you know... Equality doesn't doesn't tear anything down or take jobs away from anybody or you know anything like that. It's about raising everybody up. And like the idea that progress is not linear, right? That like this can be a win, but you can also criticize other things, right? That like Miles Morales can be a step towards that better future that we want, you know, and not effectively not trying to attack people that are like trying to be on the right side of history, right, and trying to be an ally. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, shifting over to the Marvel side of things, uh, there's been a new book announcement that seems to tie into Falcon and Winter Soldier, uh, or at least tie into the hype around that series, uh, because we are getting a a Captain America title called the United States of Captain America. Nice. Yes. Uh, so, this story will be told by Christopher Cantwell, a, a newer writer on the scene who's been um, making waves through his Iron Man series and his Doctor Doom series. Uh, he's going to team up with Dale Eaglesham, uh, who is, of course, a well-known, well-regarded artist, um, to tell an interesting story that Marvel says will celebrate the character's incredible legacy by bringing together various Captain Americas from throughout the years for a grand adventure to find Captain America's missing shield and solve the mystery of his masked thief's plan. The incredible saga kicks off when Captain America's shield is stolen. No one understands the value of the shield like those who've wielded it, so Steve Rogers and Sam Wilson set out on a road trip across America to chase down the thief. But instead, they find the captains, everyday people from all walks of life who've taken up the mantle of Captain America to defend their communities. And for some reason, the shield thief wants them all dead. Can Sam and Steve get to them first? Uh... So that's Marvel Solicit. I do want to read a tiny bit of what uh, Christopher Cantwell had to say. It's an incredible gift and definitely a creative challenge to take on the character of Captain America, especially during these unprecedented times in our country. With this miniseries, we're hoping to explore what the idea of Captain America means at this precise moment, not just on the grand stage of the world, but to everyday and often overlooked communities throughout the United States. The story is ultimately structured like a road movie. Uh, it'll see Steve Rogers and soon Sam Wilson and later other key members in Steve's life getting to directly interact with those he represents as a symbol and a sworn to protect, but in an up close and personal way he hasn't experienced in a while. Sounds like fun, honestly. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I, I like the idea of there being different communities that take up the mantle, like within, because it, it, it sort of brings. Uh, it harkens to the idea of like the small town, um, um, like watch the neighborhood watch kind of situation where, you know, you're sort of uh, here for your community and here for your people in the same way that Captain America is, you know, here for the United States as a whole. There's like that, that similarity there. I thought that was uh, a, a cool sort of premise um, and, and definitely something that would be interesting to explore, like how it all sort of affects uh, it, it just affects these different places because the U.S. is so it's just large. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, 
that's something that I, I don't I don't know that I really necessarily recognized was such a uniquely American thing. But like the whole like cross country road trip and being able like that is a very like there are many countries that are as big as us us with as much um road road but also like the like diversity <laughs> of community and landscape as well right that like you driving in like the american southwest is completely different from like the american northeast mm-hmm. um or even the northwest and the idea of of captain america and you know all all of these captain americas um kind of I don't know, taking this trip across the country that they're supposed to represent the values and humanity of uh, feels like a really rich area. And a cool way to celebrate the character and its legacy, you know? Because, like, Cap is one of those characters that, like, obviously so tied to Steve Rogers, but, like, there have been a lot of other characters that have meaningfully carried the mantle and had their own kind of lasting imprint on what Captain America is and means. That's right. So that's why I can't wait to see where Frank Castle ties into this. <laughs> I can't wait to see Sam and Cap doing uh, joining a tailgate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would actually love that. <laughs> Captain America shows up. He just like picks up a keg, drinks the whole thing, and crushes it on his forehead. You know, <laughs> that'd be pretty sick. <laughs> Sam, those wieners done. <laughs> I'm I'm a little trepidatious about this because. First of all, I feel like I just don't like superheroes on road trips. Um, I remember when <laughs> there was that one Superman story by um, oh, Straczynski. Straczynski, yep. where he was just walking around and just chatting with people. And it was supposed to be Superman reconnecting with, mm-hmm. you know, America. And I just did not like it. I wanted so badly to enjoy it because at that time, Straczynski was my guy. Mm-hmm. And I. I was like, all right, he's on his way to DC. He's starting with Superman. This is my way into Superman as a character. I've never really read him before. Can't wait. Thought it was not great. Um, then after Secret Empire, they did a similar thing with Captain America where he was trying to get people to mm-hmm. once again believe in him uh, after the fake Cap you know, destroyed his reputation. And I believe that story was told by Mark Wade. And similarly, I just felt like it didn't have any type of edge or um, no heat. No heat. Yeah, it was heatless. And uh, I suspect that this will be similar, especially with the flimsy premise of Captain America's shield getting the stolen. The shield is gone. Yeah, that's it. He needs the shield. <laughs> I'm sure it's super easy to steal. <laughs> Captain America shield like what he fall asleep and he woke up and it was gone you know like he, he woke happens. up in his hands like in a glass of warm water and his shield's gone I peed myself <laughs> no <laughs> he calls up Sam you ever read Heart Traveling Warriors Green Lantern Green Arrow it's the uh, it's the heroes Heart Traveling Heroes did I say Warriors yep oh, damn it's like it's a uh, it's the quintessential road uh, road traveling book yeah but that's by a team of good people <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Wow. Danielle, You're really about uh, to just throw that disrespect around? <laughs> uh, Danielle I mean, Neal and Neil Adams, two legends. Yeah, two legends. So that's 
I mean, you could have you could have said that. that instead of two good people, because <laughs> what you said was incredibly dismissive of Christopher Wait. Cantwell and uh, Dale uh, Eaglesham. <laughs> I think. Well, I, I'm not sure that K- Kale wasn't throwing shade at Mark Wade and Straczynski. That's mm-hmm. fair. <laughs> Either way, it's. <laughs> I mean, t- sure. Yeah. Taking swipes. <laughs> well, why not? <laughs> I don't. I don't endorse that. <laughs> like I like Straczynski a lot. The his Spider Man run is my top tier. Uh, but that Superman run sucked. And Mark Wade for me hasn't written anything good in about twenty years. Damn, there it is, folks. There's the shade. Right. Okay. All right. Shade Master. I All sincerely right. hope that you never have to encounter Mark Wade in person. Because That'd be so sick. If you do, I can assure you that he will yell at you. I would love <laughs> the idea of Sean. Listen. Like we we meet Mark Wade and Sean's just like, oh yeah, uh, Kale said you haven't written anything good in like ten years. What do you think about that? And he just starts fucking yelling at him. Yo. He just beats the shit out of Kale, and we're also <laughs> like dumbfounded. We just watch. Now we have to film that in front of YouTube. I would be <laughs> blessed. <laughs> this is please. the this is the please. excerpt for the show. Please, please uh, Mister Mister Master Comic Writer, uh, beat me up with your with your magic and and let some of your talent beat off on me. Beat Yo. off on you, eh? I just so now I'm just imagining him with like a like a rich man's like he has like one of those canes you know that you always see like cartoonishly rich people like like it's like a, a cobble pot kind of thing and he's just just wailing on Kale with this fucking cane. Mm-hmm. Boy, this took a turn. <laughs> it got Sean to smile. <laughs> wow. All right. Um, well, that took a dark turn. It took a turn. <laughs> Is Tom King writing this episode. <laughs> Speaking of darkness, Jackie, WandaVision just wrapped oh, wrong, up. Wrong book. And uh, that opens up a door. And it opens up a door to the Darkhold, which um, is, of course, a, a an item in the Marvel Universe, kind of similar to any of the, like, like the Infinity Gauntlet or the cosmic control rod in the sense that it has immense power and that oftentimes characters will seek it out to utilize it for their nefarious means. And it's like um, kind of a nod to like um like the Necronomicon, like it's that kind of like ancient evil magic book. Sure. <laughs> very sure. very similar to Marcos Trouble Enemas. Yes. Oh same amount of dark energy. This really did take a dark turn. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> last year, it was announced that we would be seeing an event centered around the Darkhold, simply called Darkhold, and it would begin with Darkhold Alpha number one, uh, and this was the solicit. Darkhold sees Dr. Doom unearth the ancient Darkhold, a text written by the Elder God, Kithon, and unintentionally opening a passageway for Kithon to return to our dimension. To enter Kithon's dimension and fight him, the heroes must read from the Darkhold, which drives them insane. The creative team behind uh, Darkhold Alpha number one was Steve Orlando and artist Cyan Torme. Um, And then after that, we would get five one-shots with each of the heroes that Wanda brought on to help her Stop Doom, those being Iron Man, Wasp, Black Bolt, Spider-Man, and Blade, and then wrapping up with Darkhold Omega number one. 
COVID, of course, stopped all of that from occurring. But now uh, it appears as though we might actually be getting it after all with the event listed uh, as being released in its collected form on January 25th of 2022, which means we probably would get this event rolling here in June. Marvel hasn't actually announced that that's coming, but I think uh, now's probably the second best time to release this event. The first best was absolutely just before or during WandaVision, WandaVision's uh, run. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That, that's what I was going to say was uh, had, had this been announced like previously uh, before the show, I wouldn't be interested because I'm like, I don't know what that is. I don't care. But with the context of the show, th- this is appealing to me. Yeah, like if it was coming out like this week or like next week, that oh, would have yeah. been fucking perfect. Yep. yep. <laughs> or like even last week when you're like in the fever pitch up to the finale and you're just like, ah, I'm hungry for more, you know? I saw so many people tweeting about Vision um, yeah. that week, you know? Go check out our book club. <laughs> I uh, I really I really like Scarlet Witch. I don't think that she gets a lot of do in the comics. So an event that's you know primarily focused around her and kind of trying to you know do something heroic is interesting, um, especially in light of the X Men and what's going on with them and how they see her. So I wonder. If there was, if there was, or if there would be any type of uh, desire to kind of further that narrative through this book, notably, she doesn't choose any X Men to help her out. Yeah, true. The, um, in the, I think it was it was the Empire crossover. She goes to Genosha to try to resurrect mutants that she uh, had a hand in killing. But that's the last, uh, the last uh, X Men thing that I know of happening anywhere near that realm. Yeah, was she was she there to resurrect the dead that died during uh, New X Men, or was she there because, like, who was she there to resurrect specifically? Dead mutants. I don't know. Mm. I, I, yeah, I'm not sure. Okay. I, I that it was all garbage. So I don't remember. <laughs> it makes it would make sense that it would be like the Genosha genocide stuff to me, at least. But. Yeah, because the turning point of House of M was really just that she took away their powers. The powers, exactly. Yeah, their mutants. So yeah, it, surely it would have been the Genosha incident or whatever. Right. Yeah, because she technically didn't kill anybody. Right, yeah. right, yeah. I, I am interested um, in it from that perspective, Sean. It's something that, um, you know, go check out our, our WandaVision review for kind of the full conversation on, on how it relates to the show and everything. But, um, you know, I, I think it's clear, like, with WandaVision, um, and obviously no spoilers, uh, that they're trying to position her as a, as a more prominent character moving forward um, and kind of, you know, she's kind of been in the background, you know, like she's been an Avenger and she's been in a lot of stuff, but like she's never had a solo feature. We haven't gotten a lot into her and her world and powers and all that stuff. So like, I feel like 
that's going to be a thing we see in the movies moving forward. And I imagine that they will try to, you know, similarly take Synergy. advantage. Yeah, right. Take advantage of that in the comics. And, you know, this I think is is a clear effort, right, to be made there, putting an event that, that does cir- circle around Wanda. Um, but I think the X-Men of it all is going to be really interesting because of the way that they've kind of, like, disconnected her from the mutants and mutantdom and but now they have the rights back to those characters so like is that a thing that they're gonna want to make a reconnection for so that they can then use her to put over more x-men in the future you know like it it kind of i could see it going either way i could see them doubling down on a like no she's not a mutant she's her own thing magic or you know kind of backdooring her back into the world of the mutants so that there's that that synergy and that connection to oh hey when we bring the x-men to the mcu we already have a breakout character in wanda you know yeah we're all big fans of nightcrawler around here have her finally hook up with nightcrawler because in an alternate reality they have nocturne as a baby we can finally make that happen yep yep. there's your link back to the x-men pete's wearing pete's wearing the shirt so I actually just noticed Pete's awesome T-shirt. So if you're on YouTube, you can see uh, Pete. You should take a picture of yourself with yeah. that on and post it on social. I'll throw it on the Instagram. It's cool. It's the is three that... mutant laws, guys. Yeah, is it law number two? two? Murder no man is law number two. Oh, I've been saying it wrong for years. It's the first law, guys. It's the most important law. Oh, so damn, it's obviously it really the first law. Make more mutants, guys. Hell yeah. Oh, God. Oh, it was my the second God. one they came up with. No, you no, know, no. The X-Men are horny as fuck. Any real X-Men fan can tell you that. <laughs> it's because it's I didn't get the book physically, Sean. You don't remember? It, it probably is. Yeah. It, it most likely is. It just probably didn't it retain it. <laughs> um, it. You know, I've actually read uh, studies that do show that people retain their information better when they read something physically versus digitally. That's why I'm at the forefront of that adoption, though. I want to aid the next generation of humanity to adopt that digital mindset, you know? I yep. thought you were talking about law number one. We need those. I just want to forget. Scanny eyes. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of Scarlet Witch and WandaVision, there's been a lot of uh, charged opinions and conversation about the show and how it's played with fans' expectations and desires uh, in some ways that uh, haven't necessarily pleased audiences so we are going to discuss that idea and how much storytellers and creators have to contend with audience expectation when they're crafting their stories um and what our responsibility is as fans as we engage with a lot of this content um so we're gonna we're gonna dive into that and by the way we won't be spoiling wandavision in any real way at least not the finale or anything like that so don't worry about that as we dive into this topic not here at least right that's what we watch is for (laughs) wandavision has played with fans expectations for sure Sure. uh and you know we've talked about in the past that marvel has a tendency to do that they the first example the first big example i can think of is in iron man 3 where you know, the Mandarin 
is not really the Mandarin from the comics. And they promoted it as such. They promoted the fact that, you know, we were going to get the real, you know, we're going to get the Mandarin. It was going to be this really cool thing, Iron Man versus his greatest enemy. Um, And then, of course, the movie comes out, and it turns out that that's just a guy playing a guy. Um, And it was a swerve. You know, and again, Iron Man 3 made a billion dollars. But I think that um, there were a lot of people who are the more um, initiated among us who read the comics and, you know, whatever, who saw that as a slap in the face, especially because at least at that time, I'll speak for myself. And I remember reading forums and a lot of people expressing similar ideas that it felt as though Marvel used our knowledge of the comics to hype us up only to swerve us and ultimately disappoint. So Mm. that was the first time. Then uh, we had things that were certainly lesser examples, but the way that they alter trailers to show Thor having both of his eyes when he had lost one uh, in the Ragnarok trailers, I believe. Um, And then something very similar happened with... uh, Infinity War, where they show Thanos' gauntlet and he doesn't have a full gauntlet um, in the trailer, but in the movie, it's a different story. Or like so that shot of uh, of Hulk running and like it ended up being the buster armor, actually, and like yes. that was a total total fake out. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And things like that are are different only because they're not, they're not narrative, right? That's mm-hmm. just the trailer. And so you can glean as much as you want, but until you've seen the actual product, um, those are just those are just more like it's marketing material, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, with WandaVision, it's slightly different than that because uh, the one the one thing that I feel like we have to kind of address in this conversation is a spoiler. So if you haven't seen anything at all, then do skip ahead. Um, but the the Evan Peters mm-hmm. uh, Quicksilver thing. Right. That's something that, you know, a majority of us did not know was going to happen beforehand. It le- it did leak, but most of us just didn't know. Um, and obviously, Evan Peters plays Quicksilver in the Fox movies. He was cast here to play the same character, but different in WandaVision. And that set up all these massive fan theories that, None of which panned out. None, none at all. There were the WandaVision commercials that seemed to suggest, and when I say commercials, I mean the commercials within the show that seemed to suggest all sorts of different possibilities. None of which came to pass whatsoever. Uh, the the idea of there being someone behind Agatha, none of that came to pass. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many different things that you can point to that didn't go anywhere. It has fans upset. And so my, my question to you all preamble out of the way is how much, how, how allowed are we to feel upset in these situations? And is it wrong of, marvel or or disney or whatever to do that kind of thing to set our expectations with certain things and then circumvent them and do they have to be more cognizant to do is there a, a part of these companies that has to be aware that the things they do are going to lead to people having expectations and that they should 
uh, uh, tread lightly around them. Hmm. Well, I I'm ready to come out hot hot on this one out of the gate Ooh. just because okay. I'm I'm frustrated by this entire discourse as a thing, um, and it's something that for me as like a fan of media uh, in 2021, like I just I'm exhausted hearing about it. I'm really tired of people like prognosticating and making fan theories and then being mad when the thing that they wanted doesn't come to pass. And it's not it's not a thing that's like unique to the MCU. It's not a thing that's unique to comics or comic media. I think it's worse in them because there is this source material that you can look at and extrapolate from and think, could this mean that? Could this be a nod to that? Um, and like hyping yourself up into a frenzy and then getting mad about yeah. it not being what you wanted it to be. Um and I think I think that like companies are kind of damned if they do and damned if they don't, right? Like when you are making uh, something that has an established media property that you're pulling from, there's always going to be some level of like that fan culture of like looking at the trailers and picking them apart and and examining things that are not meant to be examined that closely and you know and projecting meaning onto things or in some cases there being actual meaning or being nods being red herrings um and taking that as gospel versus as a potential outcome of of what's happening and you know that that's that's part of the game in this this day and age and and I think you know I think you made this point Sean or in this episode or a previous one that like that's just kind of how it is now and, like, it's always going to be that way. Um, like, the conversation, the YouTube videos, the CBR articles and stuff, there's a culture around this stuff that's not going anywhere. And I think, like, especially as you see the MCU now transition from film to television series, it's more susceptible to that because they're week to week. And it's not a thing that there's trailers and there's this quiet period and then it's out and you know what it is, right? We've been engaging with WandaVision for two months not knowing what it how it was going to end or what it could be or what the stakes could be or, or any of those things and to me like that not knowing that mystery those questions that was part of the fun that was part of the enjoyment of watching the show week to week and certain theories not panning out or whatever doesn't retroactively make me not enjoy the content that I that I engaged with and like the conversations that we had around it and yeah I don't think someone's wrong to be disappointed, but I think that if you were one of those people that is like obsessively in the weeds looking for everything and then not all of those things come to pass, you set yourself up for that disappointment. And I also think that it's worth pointing out that some of the things that we saw, some of the threads that were laid, the MCU is not one piece of media, right? There's all these other things coming out later. We know that this movie ties into Doctor Strange, potentially to Spider-Man later on, all these other things where like some of these threads could be picked up at a later date, right? Some of these things are going to come back into relevance again, and we can't talk about that here because of spoilers, but um, I, I, I don't know. I, I think like I think when you ask the, what's the responsibility of fans, it's like, to just maybe take this shit a little bit less seriously. <laughs> well, I I will say, because I I pretty much agree with everything you said, Pete. The one thing that I can I can understand why there's anger is again, this is a spoiler for this last episode of WandaVision. So let's not do that. Well, it, there's a thing in the last episode that you know, there's all these theories about where things are going to go and it amounts to a dick joke 
And that to a lot of people felt like salt on a wound. Like, like Marvel deliberately pulled the rug out from under people for a reaction. So, I mean, is that okay? Because you know you have these droves of fans speculating for two months and Marvel knows what it did. Disney and the Marvel Cinematic Universe knows what it did and effectively pulls the rug out from under you and pours salt on your wounds. But I think that's only to the people who don't predict the right thing, right? Because I'm sure there are people who also predicted what ended up happening, right? So then to what extent does Marvel have a responsibility to those people? Because then the same question needs to be asked. And do they react in the same way? Do they react? Are they happy because of it? Are they upset because of it? Uh, should they have a reaction to it? I, I I pretty much agree wholeheartedly with what Phil and Pete said. And I just like that, like adding the fact that other people thought the right thing. And should there be a repercussion for them thinking that now? Kale, do you want to get a word in here? Well, I can't imagine that Marvel or Disney or any of these companies feel responsibility at all. <laughs> they set out to tell their story and just because a bunch of, you know, nutty fanboys had a bunch of conspiracy theories that they you know made thousands of youtube you know comments and videos about you know didn't come true they're just happy there's conversation sure you know so i uh, to me like yes there is an element of of the fan responsibility you know as you guys are saying but you know i i think if if marvel hadn't set that precedent at that same time it might not be as bad as it is when you say that precedent you mean the expectation of something else happening it, within the series or within the mcu bro- at a, in a broader sense the yeah the way they do these things yeah sure not, just wanted yeah, to clarify not, necess- not necessarily wandavision but you know the like sean's you know brought up uh, the mandarin and you know every every film now is oh who's gonna show up alongside and this guy's in alabama shooting this for whatever and you know it's it's part of a hype train that gets you to the next one and you know that that's fan and it keeps them part of the conversation good marco sorry and to, to your point uh on on them wanting to build hype that ties into exactly what sean laid out about altering the trailers you want mm-hmm. them to go in a certain direction because you're going to get that you're going to get that conversation because ultimately that's what they care about is that conversation and then when you do present them the material whoops and they they don't care because they don't hold responsibility for that but yeah. again they move the conversation so drastically that they get a lot of mileage out of it hype is a really dangerous thing in media because it builds up expectations to an unachievable level nine times out of ten it's very rare when there's hype around uh impending product that it delivers on the people that are the most enthusiastic about it however that said there it's not it's not too dissimilar from like a wwe thing where you know uh People will fantasy book matches and storylines and things don't turn out the way they want it. And they get really mad. They swear off the product, but they don't swear off the product because the people who are the most dedicated to these things are, they've got, the company has those people by the balls. So I, I, I 
definitely consider myself among the crowd of nutty fanboys, as Kale put it. Um, <laughs> and, you know, my entire life, I've always been a person who, you know, did spend time on the internet theorizing and watching trailers over and over again to find, um, you know, pieces of things that I, you know, that, that I could use to better understand what was coming. And, um, you know, I think that at that time, there wasn't a lot of um, I, that culture didn't impact the way that those movies were produced. I don't feel um, by sure. and large, those movies were made and, you know, we did what we did on our end, but studios weren't exactly concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, and that shifted. That definitely changed. And I think Marvel was the forerunner of that change because of the relationship between these movies and the comics and the fans. Uh, these movies are way more, sl- not certainly not slavish, but way more willing and comfortable to adapt the source material than a lot of the, 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 the movies that we saw in the 2000s and before that. So there is a desire, at least it appears, to uh, keep fans on their toes to not do the exact same thing that happened in the comics, to switch it up right. for, for, for a variety of different reasons. And a lot of those are valid. Um, but I think that there's a world of difference between trying to hide information, like how many stones Thanos has in Infinity War, not releasing, not revealing that in a trailer versus showing you, uh, versus saying the Mandarin's going to be in a movie and then it just not being the Mandarin. I think those are very different things. Um, and I think that to say that fans shouldn't or, or don't have the right or whatever to, to be upset by things like that, um, I don't really think that's fair. Because nobody – it wasn't like fans said, based on the, the information in front of me, I think the Mandarin is going to be in this movie. Marvel said the Mandarin is going to be in this movie. Right. So when the manor is not in the movie, for fans to be upset, I don't think is unrealistic at all. I don't think that I don't think that that's weird at all. Um, it's like it's like being sold something that you know you, you buy on on false information. Exactly. To me, though, I see that as being different than the conversation that that's happening around Wandavision right now. How is that any different than the Evan Peters situation? Because I think they didn't tell us that. Right. Like they showed us that information. And then like, I remember we had a whole podcast about it where we're like, well, what does this mean? Yeah. Is this yeah. him? Is this the Quicksilver we know from the Fox universe? Is this our Quicksilver in a different body? Is it a total figment of, you know, uh, Wanda's powers? Is it a total figment of uh, potential enemies powers? We went through all of those potential theories and I outlined the theory that ended up being correct. And that was what I thought was probably going to happen. And to me, like, I don't, I don't think it's the same thing. Cause it wasn't like they were like, here's Evan Peters from like, we brought that to it. And I'm not saying that that's, that, oh, that wasn't, wow. <laughs> that's intentional. I think they, they wanted us to bring that to it, but I don't think it's the same as like, I don't think it's the same as uh, advertising the Mandarin as the the villain of a movie, and then oh, it's not really him; it's some other guy. Like I, I do see those things as being different. Yeah. I think that the casting of Evan Peters was deliberate. I agree. I think that the fact that the that that storyline resolves the way it does 
shows you that it was a troll. And I don't think that there's any other way to look at it. Think about how that storyline resolves in WandaVision. How can you say that that was not a troll? That, but that, that's, I don't think that's the same thing, though. Like, not, like, but I asked you something specific. Is that a troll? Yeah, it is. But I don't, I don't think it's the same bait and switch, though, in that way. I think the only difference is that one is a movie and one is not. No, I don't agree. I, yeah, because to your point, Mandarin was, okay, we have an answer for the question who's going to be the villain, let's say. Whereas here we we were presented with a piece of information that wasn't that wasn't a directive as to who this person is. We we were presented the information in the context of what was going on. Like like I think I think a more apt comparison would be if they didn't mention that Mandarin was going to be in the movie. He was in the movie, and then all of a sudden it turned out he wasn't actually the Mandarin. I think that's a more one to one comparison yes. than it's the than literal it, same thing. Exactly, that's what I'm saying, and and that being the literal same thing is not the same as the the two current comparisons of the Mandarin being announced as the villain, and then therefore when it turns out it's not him, people get disappointed. Whereas this person being uh, brought in to the show during production, as the narrative gets unfolded, and then uh, is presented to be a troll or a play uh, against those those expectations. I don't think is I don't think those things are equivalent. Yeah, I don't either. Because I think I think to me what that is is like it's more of a a narrative red herring, right? Of like it's it's I I agree it was a troll it was a fake out but it was to like get your mind going in a direction that would then subvert your expectations in a way that by and large has been disappointing to fans who were clued in. I don't think that that's wise. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, I don't know, I guess, but like, I think that plays into the broader conversation we're having, you know, that like, I think that um, it reminds me of the discourse around uh, uh, Last Jedi, that's episode eight, right? Mm -hmm. Ryan Johnson, mm -hmm. Star Wars, yeah. Um, it reminds me of the discourse around that, where it's like, there's expectations set, and then this doesn't meet those expectations, so what though right like it's like does every single thing that's set up need to be something or like is there is there like are are we then making the argument that like creators can't fake us out that they can't like l try to make us think one thing is happening and then subvert those expectations and present something else to surprise us you know like I don't think that the 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 last Jedi or Disney did anything to set fan expectations around that movie in any particular way. I think people were upset because they didn't feel like that movie was Star Wars. And that's a completely different conversation uh, in this. They cast an actor who everyone would know was famous for playing the same character that he was playing in the show. And then it was, you know, then things went how they went and it was ultimately a troll. That was a deliberate action versus Star Wars just putting out a Star Wars movie and people being disappointed. No, but, but because there are the, a, a huge... lot of people mad about fan theories from the Force right. Awakens not coming. Who's... But you're not listening to me. I'm saying that Disney oh, right, did not do anything to right. put anything in your mind. They put a movie out and fans ran wild with their own theories before the movie came out and those didn't pan out. 
this is very different than that. But I would I would also argue if like if we're considering people in the know that we have precedent where we have two characters who are MCU who are or two actors who are MCU figures who have also been in other productions outside of Marvel. So then there could be an expectation of, well, this character is not uh, the, the, what is it? The recast of, of, um, of Pietro could just be a red herring because of this other information, right? We, like we have that precedent. Wait, so, what are you saying? He, like, he's saying that because Pietro was cast didn't mean that Pietro was, sorry, because Evan Peters was cast as Pietro, it didn't mean that he was the same Pietro. And, and that we knew that that was a possibility. Because we also have Cap, who was who played um, whatchamacallit, Johnny, and then no, no, no. But 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 if if we're supposed to be considering people who are in the know, right? That is that is a possibility that like like that's not an invalidating factor. He was cast as Captain America. If 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 Chris Evans was cast as Captain America, right? And then fans said, "Wait, what if he's the Human Torch?" <laughs> that would be absolutely stupid. Right. right. So why why would that not apply to this? Because they didn't announce his casting. They showed him us and said he was Pietro, and then he wasn't. That's what I'm saying. They they didn't announce. They didn't announce like the the. They just pre- they presented Cap uh, Evan. What do you call it? Chris uh, Evans. Chris Evans as Captain America, and no one thought that he was uh, Johnny Storm because he was because cast. they told us who he was. He was what, cast what as Captain America. They made a movie called Captain America: The First Avenger. Cast Chris Evans. You think people were gonna think, "Oh, that's Johnny Storm"? No. Yeah, exactly. Sean, <laughs> Sean is right in the sense that when they dropped Evan Peters on Wanda's doorstep, he was Quicksilver. That means something. Yeah, Marvel fans. Definitely thought on mass that this could be some greater multiverse thing with the Fox merger. Now, Pete and Marco, you guys guessed correctly what the swear was going to be, but that doesn't change the fact that Marvel deliberately was trying to stoke hype from its fan base. They it was very cognizant of trying to drum up a conversation. But I guess my question is like, why is that bad? Like, because I mean, like, and again, I to your point, Sean, I'm not saying that you're wrong to feel unsatisfied by that. Um, but I guess, like, the argument that like creators should anticipate that and like try to avoid it is something that like just doesn't jive with me. Because like, I think the fact that there was that question and we had that dialogue that made that episode more interesting and it made it more exciting to talk about. And, like, I found that to be rewarding, you know? And, like, yeah, like, it didn't mean that. It didn't mean that there's a, a connection to the Fox universe or whatever. But, like, okay, that's fine. What did it mean? It did. I mean, what did it mean? Like, in the grand scheme of things, like, nothing. That's the thing. That's the point. But, but I mean, exactly I, but again, point. like, that's a storytelling device. Like, that's what a red herring is, you know? And but, I, it, <laughs> but it's not. It's, but it's not that. It's that it didn't, it didn't mean anything. It didn't have value and then they trolled us so it feels like a slap in the face it feels like we knew what we were doing we did it on purpose we wanted you to feel this and then we're going to make fun of you at the end that's how it feels and if you don't feel that way because you did not um take it to mean what they what they expected us to take it to mean then that's on you 
But I took it. I took it as that. I took it as you're trying to send us a message, especially with the messaging around Doctor Strange and the multiverse of madness. Sure. There's every reason for fans to have thought that. And by the way, it's worth pointing out that uh, Marvel's certain people at Marvel, whether they be Paul Bettany or Matt Shakeman, who uh, was the uh, creative director of uh, WandaVision, spent the last week driving back fan expectation for the finale. They spent that time trying to say, hey, Paul Bettany said I was trolling with certain things that he said about, you know, um, and Matt Shakeman said, hey, you know, we're not necessarily going to be able to, uh, uh, you know, a lot of you guys had amazing theories and, you know, we're not going to be able to satisfy all of them. They satisfied none of them. And I think that that is why the discourse around this series has turned into what it has, because this is really the, well, it's, it's really kind of like the second time that this has happened. And both instances have been for Marvel, uh, where the fans do feel trolled. And uh, I don't think that that's something that should be dismissed. But we're here to discuss what is the what is the responsibility on both sides. Yeah. And so Pete said uh, he doesn't feel as though uh, there's any responsibility on the side of the um, of the creators. And I think that. I personally feel like your fans caring about what you do is a precious thing and not a thing to take lightly. I think that the fact that there are millions of people who enjoy these movies across the world and spend their time thinking about them is something that every single person involved should be grateful for and shouldn't treat as a troll. I don't think that that should be something that gets um, played off for jokes. And I think that there are spaces where that can work. Um, WandaVision is very much a mystery box television show similar to Lost. And Lost fans had very similar reactions when Lost did certain things that it did. I just, I feel like, I feel like that setup for a show though is like inherently dissatisfying. Cause like, I think it comes back to Marco's point where no matter what you thought, if it wasn't what you thought, you're going to be disappointed. So like, I, I do think the the responsibility is on the fans in that case where it's just like, I don't think we should like hype ourselves up into a frenzy about a thing and then be mad when it doesn't come to pass. And like, I think what you're saying is valid in terms of like, um, you know, that like there, there's a, there's a balance to be struck there. Right. And I think like there's an argument to be made, like maybe this missed the mark. Um, but I don't know. Like, I, I just feel like, I feel like you run into the opposite problem if they don't do stuff like this, where anybody who's in the know knows exactly what's going to happen, and then it happens, and then, okay. You know, and, like, I don't think that's satisfying either. Um, I I liked the idea that I didn't know what was going to happen and that, um, that it could swerve me, you know, and that, like, I could have this expectation that something might happen, and then when it doesn't, it's surprising. And, like, that's satisfying to me rather than, like, you know, um, always like the one for one, you know, or like giving us exactly what they tell us they're, they're going to give us, you know, um, I kind of want to be surprised. I want to have things feel fresh and not just, you know, what I always think is going to happen. Sean, if, if Marvel continued to swerve audiences like this in a dissatisfying way that you felt was deliberate, would they eventually lose your patronage? Let me, let me, add to that 
not not in the way they did with this boner joke. Hmm. In in a you know strictly in a dissatisfying way, not in hmm. like a trolley way. Um, I mean, I've been dissatisfied before with mm. certain things like that, but for me, it, it doesn't really, um, it, it, it doesn't really ever cross the line from like, eh, that wasn't, that wasn't that cool to like anger. Hmm. Um, whereas in the two instances that I've highlighted, it did. That's what I'm saying. So if, if it happened with more regularity, would, would it lose you? Um, I mean, I don't know, man. I, I would have to. I, I can't really speak to where to, to, to where I would end up. Hmm. Um, but you know, I, I I do spend a lot of my time uh, invested in this stuff, and uh, it does matter to me tremendously. Yeah. And uh, it it, do, it does feel like pissing on that. Yeah. Um. And I don't really know how you go into some of this stuff as like a. Like if you if you're someone who reads comics and you're you know you're into all of it, I don't know how you go into it flat like that, where you where you just like where you have no emotion about the outcome. I don't really I don't know how to be a fan of like that. Now I feel targeted. Well, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean yeah, for me, it's like it's not it's not going on with no emotion. It's just like being open to the story that they want to tell versus like what I want it to be, you know, or expect it to be. A yeah, slate as you will. Yeah, and it's like not to go in with a completely clean slate, right? Like I, you, I go, you. That's impossible, right? Everybody carries baggage into a piece, and like that's just how it is. Um, but I do think that like I, I feel as though I am less, uh, I feel less burned by that kind of thing in general, and I, I think it like it speaks to. Um, you asked me about this with like the Invincible show. Right. And it's like how uh, The Walking Dead approached it, where like that swerves in a lot of ways. The comic is way different than the show. And like you might hit similar beats, you might have similar characters, whatever, but like it's not one for one. And there are things that happen in the books that you might not get to see come to the show. Right. And vice versa. Um, and, and like that is kind of an expectation that I think maybe got set for me as being a fan of the Ultimate Universe and that like I'm not that precious about anything. You know, like I are there characters I like? Yeah. Are there ways I want to see them represented? Absolutely. Um, but I'm also open to different interpretations and like for my expectations and my desires to be subverted um, and not and not, I guess, like have that uh, that feeling as though as though my personal investment has been like disrespected, you know, Um I totally get feeling that way. And I felt that way about other things. But I think when it comes to like the MCU in general, I just, I don't know. I like it a lot and I've certainly connected with it a lot over the years, but like, it's not a thing that like, I feel that charged about in terms of like, cause you, you asked last week on, we watch WandaVision, like, what do you want out of the finale? And I was like, I just want I just want to see it. I don't really want anything, you know, tell me what you're going to tell me and, and let me know what I should think. And I'll decide how I feel afterwards, I guess, you know, um, and I guess that's just where I'm at with them as a as a property. You know, I get more out of hearing your theories than making my own. I'm like, oh, that sounds cool. That would be cool. But I'm also like, if it doesn't happen, it's, oh, that's one of a million things that could happen. Right. So. 
I think that there's a world of difference between the MCU, for example, not being one-to-one and what we're talking about, because the MCU's never been one-to-one. And that's something that fans, some fans can't even accept that. Um, and I have a lot of friends who I've had to talk down the off the ledge because <laughs> they 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 just can't get with the fact that it it and the D, the DC universe do not do exactly what happens in the books. Um, but I think that them not being one to one is something that I've long accepted and think is generally good because not all of the source material makes sense for movies and not all of it is like good in the way that movies have to be good. Uh, So that's cool. But I feel like an expectation in this regard is different because this is not like the, the the Evan Peters thing Mm -hmm. doesn't exist in the comics, right? That's a, that's an entirely separate thing. Yeah. Than having an expectation based on something that you've already engaged with. Sure, sure. And I think for me to answer the ultimate question uh, is like where the responsibility is. Um, I think that the responsibility is just in, 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 in respect. Uh, because if I'll just say this, like if one, if WandaVision if WandaVision only sought out to tell its specific story without doing those types of things, I ultimately would have had a lot more fun with it because then I could have focused on just the narrative that was being delivered and not any, any of the like wild wacky stuff. Um, for, I'll give you a perfect example. This is an absolutely perfect example. Spider-Man 3, right? Spider-Man 3, and I'm talking about the one that's coming out. There's been no promotion of Toby or or, uh, Andrew Garfield or any of that, right? There's been no promotion of uh, Doc Ock or Electro, none of that. They have not said one word about that. So let's say there were no trailers. And let's say the movie came out and and, and none of that was true. Right. And all of my speculation was a waste of time and none of that materialized. I wouldn't care mm-hmm. because they did not tell me to think about that. Mm-hmm. I thought about that. I thought about it. Uh, I looked online, saw other people thinking about it. I put my own theories together. That's on me. I did that. But Marvel did not tell me to think about those things in WandaVision. They did. And that's my problem. Yeah, fair enough. <clears throat> I I think I I I don't agree, but I definitely get where you're coming from, and like I don't I don't think you're wrong for feeling that way. So where do we go from here? Do you think? I, I guess Pete, you've already laid out how you feel, but do you guys think that there are lessons to be learned on the part of? marvel from this experience uh and you know like mandalorian for example was a huge hit had none of these issues uh do you think that this is something that marvel can learn from or do you think that they probably don't really care i don't think they really care i think people watch the show and i think even in spite of the criticisms based around the swerves they would watch it again so 
ultimately, I don't think they care. Uh, and people will show up for uh, Winter Soldier and the Falcon show. So, yeah, and uh, I I think I agree wholeheartedly with Pete. And I don't think there are lessons to be learned necessarily because I don't think that personally, I don't think that there was anything done that um, needs like an immediate reflection. Yeah, I don't think they care. I think they care about the conversation and getting you hyped for the next thing for the next 20 years. It's the same thing they do with, you know, their summits and their, you know, their big uh, uh, MCU happy Disney day or whatever the fuck. And, and people forget, too. I, that's the other thing. I feel like yeah. that's what they bank on is people forgetting things like this. We're getting over it. Um, yeah, I, I will just say the last point I have to make is I hope they don't learn lessons from this because I think whatever lessons they would learn would be the wrong ones. Um, I, I think overreacting to fan backlash is like one of the biggest mistakes you can make as a creator. Like listen to your audience, engage with your audience, but like to Phil's point, I think there are just as many people that walked away from the show really loving it. Um, so. All right. Well, uh, how did you feel about how WandaVision wrapped up. How did you, did you enjoy the finale? Did you enjoy the series? Uh, given the way that it ends, did it, did it impact how you overall feel about what you watched? Uh, let us know. And, and, and beyond WandaVision, because I think this is a conversation that we've had and will continue to have um, as, as this stuff becomes even more dominant somehow. Um you know, is there an expectation or is there a responsibility on the part of these studios to be precious with how you feel about things? Mm-hmm. Uh, write into us. Let us know your thoughts. You can get us on social at the Comics Pals, wherever you're listening to this. Uh, be sure to leave us a like and drop us a comment there as well. Certainly, uh, you can write to us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com. You can get us on YouTube if you're watching there now. Thank you very much. If you're not, head over there. Both camps can like, share, subscribe, all that good stuff. It helps us out a ton, and it's free to do. So, uh, you know, give us a boost. We're ever appreciative of that. Uh, Join our Discord server. Come hang out with us over there. Uh, We actually just had a fan, um, a listener, join our Discord server who's a longtime listener who – uh, heard our call, our weekly call to join, and finally took the plunge. And I think you guys uh, should consider doing that. It's a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun, and um, we'd love to have you. So, uh, with that, let's get into the plugs. Pete, thanks for joining us here on another episode of the Comics Pals. If you want to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, come chat with me about how you felt about WandaVision. Um, I really enjoyed it, and I really enjoyed reviewing it here with uh, Sean and the rest of the crew. So um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. And, uh, yeah, if you want to get some more content from me, you can head over and check out the Potscast, uh, weekly Nintendo podcast that I host. We're talking about the four-year anniversary of the Nintendo Switch this year. Uh, and then, of course, you can also go catch um, my band, Long Friend, Time Friend, dropped an album last week. It celebrated its one-week uh, birthday this uh, week. And we had a really, really great reaction to it. Lots of people were reaching out, getting played on the radio and stuff. Um, I've been really, really uh, overwhelmed by the response. So if you are interested in checking it out, um, it would mean a lot to me, and I'd love to hear what you think, even if you hate it. <laughs> Pete, don't be shy. It's hot fire. Thanks, bud. I, <laughs> I appreciate that. Marco. Yeah, Kale got skipped. Go ahead, Marco. 
Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no. Go ahead, Marco. Go ahead, Marco. You can follow me at Toto and Toe. That's C-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. <laughs> Damn, what uh, the hell am I going to say? <laughs> I'll come, follow me. Uh, you can look at my website, kaleward.com, and come talk to me about go there. everything Super Sentai. I feel like he doesn't promote that every week, so... Yeah, don't go there. Oh, don't go there. Uh, but do come talk to me about Super Sentai. I'm very into that conversation. Hey, <laughs> the new series of Super Sentai has one guy, and the rest of the Sentai Rangers are the Zords. Oh, wait, what? Weird. Wild. That's cool. It's wild. Let's talk about that. Hmm. Oh, and Mr. Marco Animoto on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> come, come to the Weave channel where we're actually doing an, an uh, Akira read-along. Every week on Sunday, we're going to be chatting about it. Uh, we just started volume one. So if you're listening to this uh, and you've read or want to catch up, you're only one volume behind. So definitely come join. Uh, it's ongoing. We're going to try to do some more read-alongs. We are watching Jujutsu Kaisen um, oh, nice. as well. Um, watching and reading, for those of you who are caught up with the manga, and, of course, Attack on Titan. So always mm-hmm. doing some sort of uh, group activity there. All right. Um, Phil? I just watched... Akira for the second time not too long ago, which takes the first half of the first book and the last half of the last book. Great stuff. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at CyberBebop. Uh, hit me up and just uh, let everyone know how much you love my opening bits. Let everyone know. Shout it from the mountaintops. Shout it from the mountaintops and let them all know how my conspiracy theory about Zack Snyder is probably correct. All right. Uh, as for me, I'm on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. Definitely hit me up to talk about your feelings about WandaVision. And last but not least, guys, definitely do tune in to We Watch WandaVision if you want to hear what we have to say about it ultimately. If you want to hear our final verdict, tune into that and listen to our reviews this week. We've got three big books to talk about Berserker number one, Infinite Frontier number zero, and The Swamp Thing number one. So. <laughs> Uh, lots of cool stuff happening in comics this week, and uh, we're really thankful that you guys are choosing us to engage with these comic, these comics, and these conversations. So, with that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. See you next week.